Praise the Lord, everybody. Amen. Let's say that again. Praise the Lord, everybody. Hallelujah. So good to be in God's house tonight to be able to worship him. Amen. It's such a privilege and honor to be in his place of worship, the place that he desires for us to be. He doesn't want us to be anywhere else right now. I can promise you that. He wants us to be in the house of God, to feel his presence. There's a song say to look what the Lord has done. Amen. Each and every one of our testimonies is a testament of something that God has done for us, right? If he hadn't been in the midst of it, we would not have a testimony. But I'm so glad to be in the house of God. I like what I feel here tonight. And uh, I feel that God has laid a word on my heart for us to hear. I pray that God touches me. Amen. I want God to speak to my heart. Uh, if I could be a transparent preacher tonight, as a man, I pray for amnesia, that all I have on my heart is what God has delivered unto me and given to me to say tonight. I don't want to ever influence the word with my opinions, my wants, my desires, but it is for God to speak to us each and every one. Even though you observe things and we as people can see things and you can you can see people's problems a mile away. Just walking in the back door, you see who's really going through it tonight. But I don't want myself to get in the way. I just pray, God, give me the lens that you would have me to see, the words that you would have me to say, and let's edify the body of Christ tonight. Amen. If you have everything you need tonight, praise God. But not everybody has everything they need tonight. And I pray that if those who do, if you help me preach and create the atmosphere, that we can go through a little anemic, weak lesson, but it is the word of God, and let it change somebody's heart, and let it change their heart and their direction, and let it give them just the course correction they need. You may take advantages of the value of water, but until you've had no water, and you take your first sip after a long time, you appreciate it. And there's some folks in the house tonight that need a sip from God's fountain. And I believe God can reach down and touch them tonight if he will love them. Amen. I want to obey the Holy Ghost tonight. Let's lift our hands and talk to him. I know we've prayed many times tonight, but let's talk to him. It's the time for the word of God, not for Brother Goff to speak, but for God to speak to us. Let's talk to him. Father, I love you. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Tonight may be very unique for me. Those few times you've heard me preach, it may be a little different. I, I don't have a lot of notes, and that's dangerous for me. And I don't know why. I just have a bunch of scriptures to go through with us tonight. And I'm not up here to talk, but I truly feel like God wants to talk to somebody. I want to preach to us tonight in defense of the saints. In defense of the saints. In Genesis chapter 28, be reading a few verses of scripture here. In Genesis chapter 28, verse 20 through 22. 
We're jumping right smack dab in the middle of a very, very familiar passage of Scripture, but for the sake of time, we will do what we can to get through as much of this as we can tonight. In verse 20, it says, And Jacob vowed a vow, saying, If God will be with me, and will keep me in this way that I go, and will give me bread to eat, and raiment to put on, so that I come again to my father's house in peace, then shall the Lord be my God. And his stone, which I have set for a pillar, shall be God's house. And all of that shall be that thou shalt give me, I will surely give the tenth unto thee. Amen. Can we lay our Bibles down and earnestly ask God to speak to us each and every one tonight from the depths of our hearts that God reaches down with his word and touches us. Heavenly Father, I need you right now, God. I need your presence, your anointing, your word, God. I appreciate you for what you are in this house. God, you can be so much more for the saints of God tonight. God, I ask you to anoint my mind, my heart, my lips. I don't want to be in any way, God, but I want you to speak to us tonight. Hallelujah, hallelujah. I love you, Jesus. I so thank you, Master, for your presence. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. If, if, you'll help me preach tonight, you may be seated. Amen, amen. In, in Genesis chapter 28, we'll jump right into what is happening here in our text. We see it where he says, Jacob vowed a foul, saying, if God will be with me. That seems very conditional when you read this passage of Scripture. However, if you back up a few verses of Scripture, you will see that it is not. It is Jacob reaffirming what God had given to him. If you back up to verse 15, it speaks of the promise that God had given to him in Jacob's dream. And we are very familiar with this passage of Scripture some may speak of it as Jacob's ladder. We see him laying down and making a pillow of stone and begin to go down and rest. And God visits him in a dream and begins to speak to him. And we see things happen, angels ascending and descending. And, and we see that Jacob then wakes up. And that's where we come to where we in our text said where Jacob vowed a vow. If God will be with me. And it says that, and I will keep and will keep me in this way, this way that I go, and will give me bread to eat and raiment to put on. This is not conditional on which Jacob would accept God. It is merely merely echoing what God had told to him. Looking in verse fifteen, it says, "And behold, I am with thee." And will keep thee in all places whither thou goest, and will bring thee again into this land. For I will not leave thee until I have done that which I have spoken to thee of. We see that God is renewing 
the promise unto Jacob that he had made unto Abraham and unto Isaac. And the ladder reached from the heavens down to the earth. And it was an unbreakable, ongoing connection between Abraham's family with the purpose of God. And we see that it was promised the future nation of Israel would come from this lineage. And it was guaranteed through the relationship with God, nothing else but with God. And Jacob's offspring would be the recipient and the source of the world's blessing. We are all here today because Jacob obeyed the word of God and adhered to what the commitment was from God and told him what he would do. And Jacob vowed a vow. So when we read, it says, if God will be with me, it was in direct response of God saying, I am with thee. It wasn't Jacob saying and questioning whether or not God could or does he have the strength to provide. But Jacob is saying, these things will happen to me because God has given me a vow. Nobody makes a vow when they have doubts. No one's going to say, assuredly, it will happen if they have doubts. They're going to say, well, if... I mean, if you're going to press me for something, it has a possibility. So Jacob wakes up and he says, I vowed a vow. He believed it down deep within his heart that God would take care of him. We see also in John chapter 1, in the Gospels, we see in John chapter 1 and verse 51, jumping directly to the verse of Scripture, we see that Jesus uses the analogy of the latter concerning himself. And he saith unto him, Verily, verily, I say unto you, Hereafter ye shall see heaven open, and the angels of God descending, ascending and descending upon the Son of Man. Jesus reveals himself as the way. The latter reaching into uh, the physical world, in, from the physical world into that spiritual realm was what Jesus was saying. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. Jesus was emphatically stating, there is no other way whereby we must be saved, but it is through the power and the hand of Jesus Christ. When we look at the preceding verses of scripture, we find in John chapter 1, we see Jesus calling Philip and Nathanael to follow him. And as Philip comes upon Nathanael, he tells him, they have found Jesus of Nazareth. And his famous response from Nathanael is, can anything good come out of Nazareth? And Philip replied, come and see. What a beautiful passage. How powerful it is because as we see it unfold, Jesus seeing Nathanael coming in verse 47, and it says, And Jesus saw Nathanael coming to him and saith of him, Behold, an Israelite indeed in whom is no guile. And Nathanael said unto him, Whence knowest thou me? And Jesus answered and said unto him, Before that Philip called thee, when thou wast under the fig tree, I saw thee. Nathanael answered and said unto him, Rabbi, thou art the son of God. Thou art the king of Israel. His response was simply because he knew that God saw him where he was at. 
He knew exactly where he was because he called him and said, when I seen you under the fig tree tonight, saints of God, part of me would like to get eyeball to eyeball with some of you wrestling with something that has been every service. You walk in and you drag it in and you feel like nothing is going to go right in your life and all your mind is full of his doubt. But God is here to tell you he is here in defense of the saints of God. He sees you where you are sitting right now. He sees you sitting under the fig tree where you seem like you're just catching a bit of breath and you're just catching some shade and you're just trying to get some reprieve about what's going on. God knows where you're at. It's a matter if you believe God knows where you're at. If God has become the mundane, if God has become the place where you come to the house of God and it's just a mere distraction, if you come in the house of God and your phone is more important or your person next to you is more important or the problems that you left and you drug in here is more important, you have lost sight of God. And he's looking at you right now under the fig tree saying, I see where you're at. And it's upon you to say, Rabbi, thou art the son of God. Thou art the king of Israel. It is upon you and your problem whether you can sit there and say he is the Christ. Your distraction can take you out of this house and you can check the box and say, I came to the house of God. God is here ready to rally the armed forces, the defense against your problem. And it's upon you to enlist him and his help and his need here tonight. And you can thank Brother Goff. Just go ahead and keep saying what you're saying. I don't feel anything. I only wish you could feel the encouragement that I feel here tonight. If I could only be convincing enough to state that God really, really knows where you're at. How many times are you going to say, I don't even want to go to church tonight, but I'll go just because? God is here to fix that problem. God is here to change some things in your priorities to help you be where you need to be. God is here to be your friend, your guide, your comfort to help fix each and every one of your situations. If you could only have the boldness that I feel so strongly tonight to allow God to be your God instead of him being a crutch, instead of church just being church, instead of your problems dragging you down, instead of you seeing just nothing but distractions in your life, it's time for God just to be God. Instead of him just being a means to an end, I get to see somebody, I get to have fellowship, I get to talk to somebody. I get to tell somebody about my problems. God is looking at your fig tree right now. And it's time for you to say, my Lord and my God. You are more than just a figurehead. Church is more than just an action. Church is more than just going through the motions, saints of God. It is here to save somebody's soul because somebody is precariously sitting on the edge of decisions that will wreck their world. And you're okay with it because you count them and you balance them and you give them time and you begin to talk to them and you treat them as a pet and you gave them a name. And I've said it many times before, your problems will stick around as long as you will love them. But God wants to step in the midst of these problems and fix them. He wants to fix them. We can sing songs about it, but I'm here to tell you tonight, God's got a word from somebody 
He's wanting to speak to somebody. You're not here by accident. God's not just reaching for somebody just to, so they can feel the little shiver on their spine. He's trying to pull somebody back from the very edge of the pit of hell. You have to resolve it within yourself. You get over your personal problems. You get over the things that's pulling you out of church. You get over the things that's trying to distract you. You leave the people problems to pastor and to God and let God resonate within your heart and let him become the number one thing in your life. Because that's exactly what you need. You can say, Brother Golf, you can say all those things. And you can say, oh, well, it sounds good. But I can tell you, I've been there where I fought bitterness. Where I couldn't shake somebody's hand. I couldn't wrap my arms around somebody's neck and say, I love you. I'm praying for you. I've been there when I couldn't even look them in the eye and say, I'm praying for you. And it was trying to destroy me. And I sit underneath the fig tree and said, nobody cares about me. All the while, God would preach message after message after message reaching for me. And finally, something shook loose inside of me and says, I could care less what anybody else thinks about me. It's about my walk with God. We are all one heartbeat away from eternity. And we have to see where we're standing because there's so much more. Because Jesus answered and said unto him in verse 50, Because I said unto thee, I saw thee under a fig tree, believest thou? He's saying, simply because I saw you, you're now a believer. Thou shalt see greater things than these. Your situation that's bogged you down. You may say, I, I see the master. God's got some help for you tonight. In verse 51, he said unto them, Verily, verily, I say unto you, Hereafter ye shall see heaven open, and the angels of God ascending and descending upon the Son of Man. That's a prolific statement by God. Telling him, you're going to see something more. Just because what you may think is a little magic card trick, because I seen you from afar when you didn't know I was looking at you under the fig tree, I'm going to show you something so much greater. The angels of God, what a profound statement. Because it's not something that we associate today. If we were to say, the angels of God walked in our midst, it would be, a service to behold. The Bible tells us that we entertain angels unawares. We entertain angels unaware. I'm not trying to be all Frank Peretti, but I can tell you the angels happen in the Old Testament. They likewise happen in the New Testament. And when you want to pursue after the glory of God, you can pretty much rest assured you're going to find yourself in the presence of things that you've never seen before in your life. In Hebrews chapter 1 and verse 14, it says, Are they not all ministering spirits sent forth to minister for them who shall be heirs of salvation? We find these same ministering angels ministered unto Jesus while he was tempted in the wilderness. The devil had offered him everything. And Jesus had passed those 40 days. And it says the angels came down and ministered to him in Mark chapter 1 verse 13. And he was there in the wilderness 40 days tempted of Satan and was with the wild beast. And the angels ministered unto him. They came and supplied his needs and comforted him. 
That's a promise. Luke chapter 22 and verse 43, the angels of God ministered unto Christ in the garden. It says, there appeared an angel unto him from heaven, strengthening him. Strengthening him. What do we find when we find the borrowed tomb empty? Angels. We find those who are there to say, why seek ye the living among the dead? I'm not saying that you're going to have angels come down and drive your car home for you because you're crying so hard. You can't understand what's going on in your life or you're going to have someone come in and knock on your door with wings on their back and walk in and say, I want to give you a word from God. I'm not saying that's what's going to happen, but I can tell you, God will lift you up. God will minister unto you. It says it in Psalms chapter 91, verse 11 through 12. For he shall give his angels charge over thee. To keep thee in all thy ways, for they shall bear thee up in their hands, lest thou dash thy foot against a stone. When we go back and look at John chapter 1 and verse 51, we see it says, And he saith unto him, Verily, verily, I say unto you, Hereafter ye shall see heaven open, and the angels of God ascending and descending upon the Son of Man. By their ascending and descending upon him, it's probable meant that Nathaniel would see the evidence that came to his aid and that he would have the kind of protection and assistance from God that it would show unto Jesus himself and prove that he was the Messiah. I doubt that there was any of us on our own that could withstand 40 days of temptation in the wilderness fasting 40 days, being tempted by Satan for 40 days without the ability of God to reach down and touch us and to minister unto us to help us. None of us. It's, it's hard enough just to make it a day of fasting on your own and you push yourself to the next day. Without the help of God, we can't even make it through our trials, much less several days of fasting. It's his help. It's his strength that reaches down and pulls us up and says, listen, you can do this. There are those times in weakness, we begin to question what God is doing in our life. And we look back at Jacob and we can get great inspiration from what he said in chapter 28. We know that he wrestled with an angel. We know that, but the Bible says he wrestled with a man. Jacob wrestled with him after he was left alone and it divided up his, his wives and children and all of their livestock and was trying to outsmart Esau. And if he was going to destroy him, he was going to make it to where he'd only destroy half of his possessions. And he gets to the brook and he is by himself and he begins to wrestle with this man all night long. It says in Genesis chapter 32, you can read it for yourself, begins to talk about him wrestling. And he says, I must go, let go. And, and he says, no, I won't let you go until you bless me. And so we know that's where he got his name of Israel. If you don't think the things of God are tangible, then how could Jacob wrestle with something and it beg for him to let me go so I can leave? It's the dawn of a new day. We're finding the sunrise coming. I need to go. There was urgency. There's something I must do. 
And he says, let me go. And from that, we can draw some inspiration, knowing that just because what we hear preached about is the spiritual, God will visit the physical in your problem today. It's not just a matter of, uh, well, it's only prayers he can answer of things we cannot see. But it is referenced in the word of God and promised to us that God himself walks through the physical as well as uh, the spiritual side of things. And it was in Jesus' life here on earth that there's many deliverances from danger. We find that as Bishop was talking where he walked to through the multitude of people that was trying to destroy him and trying to destroy his ministry and try to discount him. He walked through them and we find that he confused them with skill and, and the cunningness and God gave him wisdom. And as the man Christ Jesus began to navigate his time here on earth and the scenes of his death and the attendance of angels at his resurrection, they all be represented to where God helped the man Christ Jesus walk through every situation. When he went through and suffered anguish for on our behalf, he done everything so we would be able to look back and say, Jesus paid the price. One of the best ways of meeting temptation was by applying scripture, just as our Savior did. We don't have time to go through all the verses of scripture when Jesus was tempted, he would answer him, Satan, with a scripture. Just as Satan was quoting scripture, Jesus would then counter with scripture. Applying scripture in our life just as Jesus did is the best way to succeed. It is to grab the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. In Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 17, and it says, And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. God's beautiful, blessed Word. How beautiful is His Word. The other day I was listening to the Bible being read to me, there was a passage of scripture that was began to get quoted. And I don't know what happened, but as they were reading the verses of scripture, tears just began to well up in my eyes. The power, of the word of God. I didn't have anything on my mind. I wasn't there pondering all the problems of life. I was just wanting to hear God's word. And tears began to pour down my cheeks as I began to hear someone talk about how good God is. He really is good. Brother Jaheim, he is so good. Nobody is as good as God is. We can read these verses of Scripture we can sit there and say, oh yeah, I remember that one. I've heard messages preached about that one. But there's a passage of scripture in Jeremiah chapter 15. Good old prophet Jeremiah. The weeping prophet. Bible doesn't call him that, I don't believe. I think we've theologians and people who've studied have 
called him that. Jeremiah was a disciplined man. If you think you're disciplined and you got every aspect of your life under control, I want to look at some of the things that Jeremiah did. He secluded himself from things happy and from things sad so that he could truly speak the voice of God. That's what a man of God did. Jeremiah chapter 15. It says, O Lord, in verse 15, O Lord, thou knowest, remember me and visit me and revenge me of my persecutors. Take me not away in thy long suffering. Know that for thy sake I have suffered rebuke. But this is what I want us to talk about. Thy words were found, and I did eat them. And thy word was unto me the joy and rejoicing of mine heart. For I am called by thy name, O Lord God of hosts. I love it when he says, thy words were found. Ephesians tells us to take upon the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. It doesn't mean that you just carry it around. It means you take that sword out and you begin to consume the word of God. Here's the thing. Here's biology 101. You put something in, something else comes out. If the devil is trying to plague you and trying to drag you down and trying to destroy your mind and your walk with God, The devil's trying to make it to where you can't even think about God. All you can think about is your problems and how everything is going wrong in your life. Just put the word of God in you. Just eat the word of God. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. If you put the word of God in your life, it's going to purge you of everything that's bothering you. It's going to be an inspiration unto you. It's going to be something where you'll sit there and say, just as Jeremiah did, I did eat, I did eat them. And thy word was unto me the joy and rejoicing of mine heart. I love that verse of scripture. When I heard it and read it, it's like, God, all I need is you. This world will say, seems like every time you go to the doctor, They'll say, I'll write you a prescription. Or you need to talk to a specialist to help you with these problems in your mind. Or you need to go lay on a couch. Or you need to go do this. And everything is just treating symptoms. Here's the problem with we as saints of God. We think we're good. Because likewise, just as I can go to the doctor, and there's a a panel of questions every doctor is going to ask you. You're trying to tell them of your problem, and they're going to go through a series of questions. Mr. Goff, do you smoke? Never. Do you drink alcohol? Never. Do you do drugs? Never. And you start to feel good about yourself because you're thinking there are people that answer yes to these questions. And you start saying, 
I bet they probably think I'm a pretty good person. But I'm sitting there with a problem. But I'm starting to think pretty high of myself. And you can walk in these doors, and you can have God begin to ask you some questions. And you can sit there and say, never even thought about it. Never, God. I'm blameless. But you're sitting here with a problem. Oh, have you been baptized in Jesus' name? Yea, surely. Did you speak in tongues as the Holy Ghost came on you? Yes, I did. Did you repent? Absolutely. And yet, you sit with problems. Saints of God, Jeremiah knows exactly where you're at. Verse 17. I sat not in the assembly of the mockers, nor rejoiced. I sat alone because of thy hand. For thou hast filled me with indignation. Why is my pain perpetual? And my wound incurable, which refuses to be healed. Wilt thou be altogether unto me as a liar and as waters that fail? Hold on, Jeremiah. We just said the words were found and I did eat them. And the word was unto me the joy and the rejoicing of my heart. And here you're sitting here talking about the perpetual pain of your problem. What he's really saying is, are all my labors in vain? As a liar, he's saying, as a deceitful brook. A brook that only flows in the wintertime. There are maps that we have today that will state, here's where a river or a creek is. And I've been there, seen them on a map. Well, we may have to figure out a way around this. Get to it and it's empty. It wasn't the time for the spring runoffs. It wasn't time for the snow melts. And it wasn't time for things to fill it. And, and it wasn't the nature, the natural time of the year that that creek bed would be full of water. What he's saying here is, is, is a deceitful brook. What I really want to happen is the perennial stream that Amos talks about in Amos chapter 5, verse 24. He says, but let the judgment run down as waters and righteousness as a mighty stream. He's saying, I want them to be sweeping before all hindrances, obstructed by no power, turned aside by no bribery, but pouring out in one perpetual flow, reaching all, refreshing all, and with a mighty ceaseless stream, wash over my adversary. But Jeremiah is sitting there saying, you have failed me because the water isn't always there. Instead, Jeremiah is disappointed because things just keep ticking along with its natural course. I don't have that water that's flowing like the mighty Mississippi of our day. I go to the stream and I expect something and it's not there. It's not the time of the year, Jeremiah. And you begin to look back on your problem. Is my pain perpetual? And there are those that sit in the house of God tonight wondering, when will it ever end? But you have access to a God that loves to solve problems in defense of the saints. You can sit there and say, call me the weeping prophet. I have such high discipline. I separate myself from those that are uh, full of the other side of, uh, of, of all this joy and laughter and 
all the things that are not taken serious and then all the other side, the things that are sad and God, I've lived this disciplined life. I've done what you've told me to do. You sit here wondering why God simply why? And I've sat there across from a doctor and they begin to ask all these probing questions. Mr. Goff, what about this? And what about that? I don't know. No. When did it happen? Here's when it happened. And begin to go through the panel of questions. And they get to the end of their questions. And they don't know. And you still have a problem. God is here to help somebody find out why you're still having your problem. It's not anybody else. It's you. It's you. You're the problem. You need to take you, the problem, to God. You can't take anybody else and change them and force them to ask for forgiveness. You cannot force change down their throat. It's just like a child when they don't want to do something. There's some, we call them strong-willed child children, to where you can force them to do something, but they didn't really do it. They just conformed to your wishes. You, you can, like the old proverb says, you can take a horse to water, but you cannot force it to drink. I'm not trying to force someone to a place in their life that they're not ready for, but I'm here to tell you there's living water. And he's here to take care of your problems. And you may not feel it. You may be just, I can feel the... The vibe of the, the pushback in the spirit. But I'm here to tell you, God's reaching for you. And you're trying to say, God, I don't feel you. Or the water's not there. Or why is my pain perpetual as you sit underneath the fig tree? And God sees exactly where you're at. And all you're willing to do is just to absorb the shade. And think this life will change. And I'll go through this day to the next. Nothing is any different. God's saying... I got something special for you. You're going to see angels ascending and descending. Job said, I have esteemed the words of his mouth more than my necessary food. The word of God. Job was saying, the word of God is more important than the food that someone could place before me. That hot steaming dish that's so delicious and plated so nicely, waiting for me to dig in, and it looks so great, and I know it's going to be nutritious and good for me, but the Word of God is more necessary in my mouth than food itself. Saints of God, I pray that God reaches your heart. I don't know your problems, and as I said, I pray, God, give me amnesia tonight. Just let me speak your words, not mine. I want to be able to minister to somebody's heart. Maybe I'm not the right person, but God is. I may not be your favorite preacher, but God should be your favorite God. I may not be your best friend, but God should be your best friend. I may not be the person that you want to call up and say, Brother Goff, would you help me pray? But God is here to talk to you tonight. And I would hope that you don't disregard the word of God. In Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 12. For the word of God is quick and powerful. And sharper than any two-edged sword. 
piercing even, piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit and of the joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and the intents of the heart. That's the power of the word of God. I would encourage you to take what Jeremiah said, take the word of God. And I did eat it and it tasted good and it gave me joy. If you will put the word of God in your heart and stop letting the problems consume you, I think it was Brother Burgess says, as long as you're fixated on the devil, you're fixated on exactly what's he want, what he wants you to do. He wants you to fixate on him. Because then you're not looking at God. I would encourage you tonight, stop being fixated on your problem. Here's the problem. You have let your problem become you. Psalms chapter 2, in verse 6 through 9. It says, yet I have set my king upon my holy hill of Zion. I will declare the decree the Lord has said unto me, thou art my son, this day have I begotten thee. Ask of me, and I shall give thee the heathen for thine inheritance, and the uttermost parts of the earth for thy possession. Thou shalt break them with a rod of iron, and thou shalt dash them in pieces like a potter's vessel. All you have to do is put God first in your life. And his promise is, I will break them with a rod of iron. I will dash them in pieces like a potter's vessel. There are things and sometimes in your life, I'll phrase it this way, there are times in your life where it feels good to break something. Some people say, well, I have an anger issue and I need to punch something. I worked with a guy. Every time he got mad, he'd throw his cell phone. He had a Motorola Razor back in the day. And I can't tell you how many times he had to go into the, mo the phone store and get his phone fixed, replaced. And I'd say, man, if you'd stop throwing it, you would, you would be able to stop breaking your phone. But I was just so mad. I had to do something. Remember as a young man, I was in school and the uh, custodian asked me, hey, would you take these light bulbs, these fluorescent light bulbs out to the dumpster? My eyes lit up. Sure, I can do that. And me and another young man in school, we went out to the dumpster and we're like, all right, is anybody watching? And we grabbed those light bulbs and we started throwing them in the dumpster and they'd You'd see the cloud of whatever dust come out of them. And it was so gratifying, so neat. But it didn't do anything. Sometimes we set high expectations. If God would only, and we expected to fix our problem. But all he says is, eat of my word, and I'll fix your problems. Put me first, and I'll fix your problems. Here's the problem. This doesn't mean that God's going to be your Uber. You're not going to be able to call him up at a moment's notice and say, get me out of this situation. And you watch him come. And you're waiting, and you're waiting, and you're waiting to make your move. All right, they're coming down my street. You close the door, lock it, grab your suitcase, go out there and say, take me to the airport, get me out of here. That's not God. God doesn't do that. Now, it says he's an on-time God. 
Yes, he is. You may not know when he's going to show up on the scene. You may not know exactly what's going to happen, but he is an on-time God. Whisking you away before any comfort comes upon you is not what God promised. Psalms chapter 9 and verse 6. O thou enemy, destructions are come to a perpetual end. And thou hast destroyed cities. Their memorial is perished with them. But the Lord shall endure forever. He hath prepared his throne for judgment. He shall judge the world in righteousness. And he shall minister judgment to the people in uprightness. The Lord will also, also will be a refuge for the oppressed. A refuge in the times of trouble. And they that know thy name will put their trust in thee. Thou, for thou, Lord, have not forsaken them that seek thee. I want to point something out in verse 9. The Lord also will be a refuge for the oppressed. I find this interesting. He doesn't say, I'll be your refuge before you're oppressed. He doesn't say, I'm going to keep you from being oppressed. It means that you're going to go into something and I'm going to provide for you to take you out of oppression. Oppression is not a badge that you can put on. It is what you become, oppressed. And God has promised to deliver you from the state of oppression. The state of pressure from the outside that seems to prevail upon you at will God can hold it back. A refuge in the time of trouble. He doesn't say before trouble strikes that he's going to walk up and pull you out of the way of that speeding car and keep something of life from happening. But he said he'll pick you up, and put you back together, make you new and fresh again. It doesn't mean that bad things will never happen to you. It means that you have a refuge when bad things do happen to you. It's all in your mindset. Now, I'll use a carnal reference, so forgive me. I could care less about football, what Kansas City's doing. My boss came to me today and says, you know, I may need you to cover for a meeting because I may be going to the Super Bowl. And I said, not a problem. Do what you need to do. He's like, you know, I am from Kansas City, but I'm also grew up as a San Francisco 49ers fan, so I'm kind of torn. I said, this is an easy fix. It's a mindset thing. Take both jerseys. Whoever wins, put it on and walk out of the stadium cheering with everybody else. You're from Kansas City, or are you going to cheer for 49ers? He goes, you know what? I haven't really thought of it that way. I may have to do that. I said, it's just a mindset. You can be a winner either way. You're going to spend a lot of money. You might as well walk out feeling good about it. And we can be the very same way. We feel like, I'm so oppressed. I'm so beat down. And your lip is dragging so much dirt behind it, it's doing better than any vacuum cleaner you can think of because woe is me. 
look at what they did to me. Look at what they said to me. And you're stuck in this mindset of oppression. And God's saying, get out. Come on out. Get out. And you got this oppression that's a ball pit. And at times it can be fun. But the times for me when a ball pit is not fun is when I think about the germs. And I can walk on water. I say, get me out of this thing. You know how many snotty-nosed kids, how many, no telling what kind of matter is on these toys at the McDonald's Playland, and here I am, walling around, being like a kid, not going to happen. You need to get out of the ball pit of life and recognize for what it is. It may be colorful, and it may be welcome and make you feel comfortable. You can make a bed in it. Oh, I can touch the bottom. I can hide and disappear. You're stealing your problem. God's saying, get out of oppression. No matter what name you put on it. But God's got a plan. In closing, if the musicians would come in Psalms chapter 10, it says, why standest thou afar off, O Lord? Why hidest thou thyself in times of trouble? The wicked in his pride doth persecute the poor. Let them be taken in the devices that they have imagined. For the wicked boasteth of his heart's desire and blesseth the covetous whom the Lord abhorreth. The wicked through the pride of his countenance will not seek after God. God is not in all his thoughts. His ways are always grievous. Thy judgments are far above out of his sight. As for all his enemies, he puffeth at them. He hath said in his heart, I shall not be moved. For I shall never be an adversity. This is what the wicked is. The writer of Psalms chapter 10 is saying, God, why do you hide yourself from me? He's not seeing an end to his problem. He's sitting here telling everything that the wicked is talking about. The wicked is boasting their heart's desire, boasting of the things and the pride of his countenance and will not seek after God and God is not in his thoughts. And the writer of Psalms chapter 10 is just distraught with what's going on. But we go on to chapter 11. Really short chapter. We'll start in verse 4. It says, The Lord is in his holy temple. The Lord's throne is in heaven. His eyes behold, his eyelids try the, the children of men. The Lord trieth the righteous, but the wicked and him that loveth violence his soul hateth. Upon the wicked he shall rain, rain snares fire and brimstone and an horrible tempest this shall be the portion of their cup for the righteous lord loveth righteousness his countenance doth behold the upright god knows how to take care of you tonight in your problem he's telling you get your eyes off of that problem the evil one is trying to destroy you and keep you from doing what's right. 
The evil one is trying to get pride within you and say, listen, I can do nothing to become closer to God. That's the problem. You may think pride is only thinking of yourself, but pride is in, a, in, a, in this way is the devil can influence you in such a way that you will think so much of yourself that you can't get out of sin. I'm stuck. You're not stuck. Put your eyes on God. You're not in a place that God can't res rescue you. Put your eyes on him. Take the word of God. If you're struggling every day and you can't seem to see the right way, are you reading the word of God? Are you praying to him? Are you living their life right? If you're sick and tired of struggling and you can't seem to do right, and I never can find success and I never feel like I'm good enough. God never says be good enough. It just says cast all your cares on him for he careth for you. He just says give to me. Just as the righteous Lord loveth righteousness. If you appoint your heart out of oppression, that you have a big old sign out front, says, my oppression, population one. And you're proud of it. You read around it. You even put a little solar light on it. So when it's dark out, people can see, oh, look, look, they're oppressed. Are all by themselves. Look at them saying, woe is me. And God just says, I love righteousness. Can you point your heart to me? Is there a way that we can get past this little point that you're hung up on right now as we stand tonight? God wants you to get past this little tick, this little speed bump, this little thing that's making you make decisions that you're going to live the rest of your life with. In myself, in my flesh, I could appeal to you. But I believe God has appealed to you in the spirit, asking you, get out from underneath that fig tree. I've got something greater for you. So much greater. And you'll walk up and you'll say, what a mighty God. And he'll say, you call me that now. But wait until I show you what I can really do when your heart is pointed to me. Don't get hung up on, yes, doctor, I don't do drugs. I, I, don't, I don't do those things that smoke cigarettes, and I don't drink alcohol and start to feel good about yourself, but you're still sitting here with a problem. Oh, I, I've been baptized, okay. I've had the Holy Ghost at some point, okay. I've repented at one point, okay. You can feel good and say, I feel good about myself. I've done what the Bible commanded me to do. But you're still sitting here with a problem. And you've got a God who's ready to come to your defense. Jeremiah, quit weeping. Grab the word and begin to eat on it. And let it give joy to your heart. Don't fixate on your perpetual problem you think is never going to end. God wants to end it all tonight. Can we lift our hands and talk to him Heavenly Father, I love you, Jesus. Hallelujah, I need you, Jesus. I worship you, Jesus. Hallelujah, I worship you, God. I thank you, Master. 
Hallelujah. I'm not going to ignore the problem tonight, gone. Oh, hallelujah, hallelujah. I've been praying your name in morning prayer. I'm not going to ignore your problem. You're my brother and you're my sister. I want to give you the opportunity to talk to your creator and let him see you from under the fig tree. God knows your problem. The saints of this church has been calling out your name. God's been looking down upon you saying, just talk to me. Just give it to me. I'll lift that spirit of oppression off of you if you just surrender it to me. God is your refuge. Let's talk to him tonight, saints. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Hallelujah.